Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we can take this time this morning to look at what your word says about you and your son and what it says about us. Lord, we pray that you may help us by your Holy Spirit this morning to be able to comprehend the importance of your word and what it says to us. Lord, we pray that we may go out of here changed, that we may be different from what we were when we came in because we have heard from your word and that by your Holy Spirit you have applied your word to our hearts. And we pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Well, last week I went and gave blood and I do this uh, every sort of three months. And it's always interesting when I go in and get assessed, uh, they assess you, take your blood pressure and and, uh, do these little um, thumb prick tests. Uh, Before you actually give blood, they make sure that you're okay, you're fit, you're healthy. While you're sitting there and they're taking your blood pressure, they always ask me, what do I do for a living? And so I always you know, have the opportunity to share, yes, I'm a minister at the local uh, Baptist church in Des Moines. And, uh, and so then the conversation moves on and I start to talk about, oh yes, and my children. They, and I you know, spoke about my son and my daughter, I've got two kids. And it's happened a couple of times now where the, the nurse goes, so priests can get married and have kids? Is that acceptable? And I always uh, have to explain then, well, no, I'm not like a Roman Catholic priest. Yes, I am allowed uh, to get married and have children. I haven't just shared with you something that I haven't shared with my church, that I have a wife and that I have children. No, my church is very much aware of my wife's presence in my life and that I do have children. I'm not a Roman Catholic priest. But whenever people hear about ministers and priesthood and what priests are, they have different conceptions as to what it is to be a priest. And so this morning we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 2, particularly verses 16 and 17, and in verse 17 we do see that Jesus is a priest. And so firstly this morning I want to look at what does it mean that Jesus is a priest, because people have different ideas as to what it is that a priest does and what a priest can't do and whether he can and can't have children. And so we see there in verse 17 that Jesus is indeed a priest. Verse 17 of Hebrews chapter 2, page 1185 of the Black Church Bibles, and I encourage you to have the Bibles open there as we look through these two verses together. Verse 17 reads, For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. So my first main point this morning, I've got three main points and they're all there on the back of the church bulletin if you want to follow along. My first main point this morning is that Jesus is a high priest. And what does it mean that Jesus is a high priest? What do priests do? What is their job? Well, if we look back in the Old Testament, we see that the priests have quite a number of different uh, jobs. One of their first jobs to do is to look after God's house. And so we see in the Old Testament that the priests served by looking after the tabernacle, by carrying it around, carrying furniture around. No one else was allowed to touch uh, the furniture. Uh, Only the priests were responsible for packing it up and moving it around as they walked through the desert and had their little tent of meeting. The priests were very important in looking after God's house. 
And then when the temple was established by Solomon, it was priests who served at the temple. The priests were responsible for making sure that everything was taken care of at the temple. They were the gatekeepers. They were the ones who cleaned the place. They were the ones who moved the furniture around. They're the ones that are in charge there and looking after uh, the house of God. And so is Jesus a priest in the sense that those priests served at the house of God? Yes, Jesus does look after God's house. Because what is God's house today? Do we still recognise a temple in Jerusalem built by Solomon? No, Solomon's temple is long gone. And then it was, of course, replaced uh, by two other temples and there is no temple there currently uh, in Jerusalem. If you go to Jerusalem, you will not see a temple there. But God still has a house and Jesus does serve as a priest in looking after that house. What is the house of Christians, the house of God today? Well, it's Jesus himself. He refers to his body as God's temple. And then we as Christians are also part of the house of God. And so Jesus does look after God's house today as a priest. He looks after himself and he looks after you as part of his house. He serves as a priest still today by looking after the house of God. What else do priests do? Well, in the Old Testament, one of the jobs of a priest was, of course, to uh, control disease. So there's all these rules. If you ever read through a book like Leviticus in the Old Testament, you come across all these rules and regulations. Whenever you get sick and have some sort of uh, spot on your arm or on your body, you have to go to the priest and they have to look at whether the hair in it has turned a funny colour and what does the skin look like around it. And then they pronounce whether you're clean or unclean. And if you're unclean, then you have to go through particular regulations as to what you're meant to do now and to stop the disease being contagious you often have to uh, leave town for a bit. Uh, they were involved in making sure that people were classified as clean and unclean and controlling diseases and being involved in the healing process of diseases. Does Jesus do that as a priest? Yeah, if you look at him in the New Testament, what's one of the things that attracts people to him again and again? The fact that he heals. The fact that he controls diseases. He controls them in a way that the priests in the Old Testament never did because they come to him and they go away completely restored. Their problems, their diseases, their paralysis, their uh, different illnesses, fevers, they're all taken under control by Jesus. He serves as a priest in that way. What else do priests do in the Old Testament? They teach about God. Priests were responsible for teaching the law. Of course, you did have prophets as well who were outside the tribe of Levi. Levi is the tribe of priests. But the Levites were in charge of the law as well and making sure that people followed the law. They're also in charge of judging difficult cases. People would come before them for judgment and, uh, and you see the priests do that, uh, the, particularly the high priest. He has the Urim and the Thummim, uh, which we aren't really too sure what they were, but there were some sort of stones and that would discern God's will in a particular case. What should be done here? And so the high priest would somehow discern the will of God in that way. And of course, uh, by teaching people about God, he, they also pronounce God's blessing upon the people. And we have that famous uh, verse in uh, Numbers 6 
where uh, they are instructed as to how to bless the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. That was a priestly blessing toward the people. As the priests taught about God, they would also bless people in God's name. Did Jesus do that as a priest? Did he encourage teaching about God? Well, yes. You see Jesus teach the law and he teaches uh, interpreting the law correctly. The Sermon on the Mount, he goes through and talks about what the law says, what uh, the current priest would be saying about the law, and he says, no, that's wrong. This is what the Lord said. The law says. He teaches very faithfully uh, God's law and he also teaches about God with new revelation that he brings. Jesus does teach very faithfully about God. Does he judge difficult cases? Yes, he does. You see that as the the Pharisees come to him and try to trap him in his words. They put different uh, arguments to him and uh, things uh, like they say, should we pay taxes to Caesar or shouldn't we pay taxes? Uh, A very tricky question to answer because, of course, no one wants to pay taxes, but they recognise that, yeah, I have to pay taxes. And so is Jesus going to side with the Romans or is he going to uh, side with the Jews and so then the Romans will be against us? And Jesus cuts through and gives a good answer and people just stop asking him questions because he shows that he is able to discern God's will and to know exactly what people should do in situations. And of course he blesses the people as the priests do in the Old Testament as well. You see him even gather children to him and welcome them. People saying, don't waste Jesus' time with kids. No, Jesus says, let them come to me and he pronounces his blessing upon them. Jesus is a priest who blesses his people. But the most important job of a priest in the Old Testament was to offer sacrifices for the people. We see so much of the law for priests to do is concerned with sacrifices. If you read through the book of Leviticus, it's sacrifice after sacrifice, different types of offering at different times, what you're supposed to do and exactly how you are to do it. One of the jobs of priests was not just to look after God's house, was not just to control diseases, was not just to teach about God, but was to make sure they were interceding for people between God and them. Because of their sin, they had God's wrath against them. And so the priests were there to intercede by offering sacrifices for the people. And so we see that uh, through the Old Testament, these instructions that are given to these priests, make sure you're offering sacrifices for the people. And particularly as high priests, because many of the, the priests would do different jobs, but there was always one high priest And every year on the Day of Atonement, he had to offer special sacrifice for the sins of the people. There were lots of different sacrifices that he offered through the year. But each year, on behalf of all the people, the high priest went into the most holy place and offered a very special sacrifice for the sins of the people. And we read about that just before in Leviticus chapter 16. All the preparations that have to go into it, the bulls are there, the, and uh, the cleansing of the priest, and then the two goats, one is the scapegoat, one is the sacrifice. The Day of Atonement was a very important day 
because that was when a sacrifice was offered on behalf of all the people for their sins. Question is, did Jesus do that job? He is said to be the high priest. He is said to be a priest in functioning in different ways, but particularly the high priest. Did he do the job that only the high priest can do of offering the sacrifice for the sins of the people? Well, the answer is yes. He served as a high priest in offering a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And that's what verse 17 makes so clear. Verse 17 of Hebrews chapter 2. For this reason, he, that's Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, specifically saying there what Jesus did. He offered a sacrifice. That word atonement is a word that you probably don't come across much outside the Bible, but it means uh, making a sacrifice that uh, takes away our sin and also turns away the wrath of God toward us for our sinfulness. Uh, the translation there in the NIV isn't always, uh, that's not the best of ones, but uh, other translations use the technical word, which I think the NIV has avoided because it's a bit too complex for people to understand. The word is propitiation. So if you look up the uh, English Standard Version, or I think the New American Standard also has it, they have the word propitiation there, which is a reference to a sacrifice that turns away the wrath of a vengeful God. And some people don't like that word propitiation. And they don't like, because they don't like the idea that God is wrathful. They don't like the idea that God is angry about sin. But you see that word used again and again in the Old Testament in reference to a wrathful God. And that is what Jesus does in offering a sacrifice. He propitiates God. He turns away the wrath of God as a high priest, as only he can do as a high priest. So Jesus is a high priest. He looks after God's house. He regulates diseases. Uh, He even heals today. I spoke about him healing in the Gospels, but he still uh, heals today. You can pray to Jesus and he can heal you from diseases. He teaches about God. But most importantly, he performs that job as high priest of offering a sacrifice, making atonement for the sins of people. So, Jesus is a high priest. But Jesus is not just any high priest. It's interesting the two adjectives, two describing words, that are given about Jesus in verse 17 as well. And my second main point is about one of those, and my third main point is the other. And so my second main point this morning is that Jesus is a merciful high priest. He's not just described as a high priest, he's also described as merciful in verse 17. Let's read verse 17. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. What does it mean that he's merciful? Why did the author of Hebrews include that word there? Why didn't he just say high priest? What does it mean to be merciful? 
Well, to show mercy to someone is to recognise that they're in distress and to want to help them. And are people in distress? Was it necessary that Jesus should be merciful as a high priest? The answer is yes, people are in distress. People are distressed about the evil, the sin that is in the world, particularly when it affects them. We see a sin just uh, yesterday in Norway of uh, terrible evil of someone blowing up uh, the office buildings there and then shooting people. That's distressing. We need someone who is merciful against that evil that is going on in the world. We also see the evil that is in us and that distresses us. I see the sin that I do and I'm distressed about it. Why do I keep doing it again and again? Why do I behave in that way? And it distresses me. I need someone who is merciful toward me in my distress about that. And also I'm distressed not just about the evil that is in the world and the evil in me. I'm distressed about the punishment that is to come for my evil, for my sin. Because as I read through the Bible about who God is, I recognise that he does punish sin. When I die, God is there and he is judge. And he is not happy about people who have rebelled against him and sinned against him repeatedly through their lives. And that is distressing. We don't like to be punished. We don't like pain. We don't like suffering. We don't look forward to it at all. And so we need someone who is merciful. And Jesus is that someone. He is someone who is merciful. He sees our distress and instead of turning away in disgust, as he could well do, he could look at us and say, you are lost people and I don't want anything to do with you. You are black and dark and horrible. Why should I have anything to do with you? And he would be right in doing so, but instead he is merciful. He sees us in our distress and wants to help us. And that is very different from other high priests that served under God. Caiaphas, high priest at Jesus' trial, did Caiaphas show mercy to Jesus? Did he see Jesus as someone that he should be kind toward? No. And the high priests were known to be horrible people. The Jews didn't like them, often, because they were often just serving themselves and not serving the people. And so Jesus is a merciful high priest in contrast to the priest, the high priest of his day, and who served many times God uh, throughout the Old Testament. But it's also interesting to see that he is merciful toward humans in a way he's not merciful to other sinners. What's it say in verse 16? Very interesting verse, verse 16. Very important verse. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. Have angels sinned? Yes, there are fallen angels. Satan and his demons are sinful angels. Did Jesus choose to show his mercy to those angels? Did he become an angel and die as a sacrifice for them? No. We read nothing in the pages of the Bible about God showing mercy to Satan and his demons 
and sending a Redeemer, sending Jesus Christ to die for them. God does not choose to show mercy to them, but he chooses to show mercy to sinful man. Jesus is merciful, merciful to man, to sinners. How far does his mercy extend toward man? Well, what does it say in verse 16? For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. Who is he merciful toward? Abraham's descendants. Who are Abraham's descendants? Well, we have the physical descendants of Abraham who are the Jews, the Israelites. Now, some of you in this room may be able to trace back your ancestry to Abraham. If you are, I'd be very interested to hear afterwards that you can do that. Um, If you're from the Middle East in some way, you may be able to uh, claim that somehow you are back to Abraham. But for many of us, we wouldn't have a clue whether we're physically Abraham's descendants. So do we know that Jesus is merciful to us? Does he help us? It says quite clearly there, it's only Abraham's descendants. How do I get to be one of Abraham's descendants? Well, thankfully the Bible also tells us, the Apostle Paul in Galatians tells us that those who believe in God are Abraham's descendants. And I'm pretty sure that the author of Hebrews, we don't really know who it was, would have known that teaching of Paul. He is, of course, writing to the Hebrews. Uh, he's writing to descendants of Abraham, so uh, it is... It is um, Reasonable that he would speak about Abraham's descendants there, but he knows, I'm sure, that Gentiles, non-Jews, are part of Abraham's descendants and the mercy of God, the mercy of Jesus Christ as high priest extends to all people who believe in God because all people who believe are Abraham's descendants. So God's mercy does extend to you. If you... Admit that you need mercy. Because Jesus isn't your high priest if you don't need him. But if you admit that you are a sinner, that you are in distress about your sin, that you're in distress about punishment to come for your sin, then Jesus' mercy extends to you if you believe that he died for you and served as your high priest. Is that all we see about Jesus, though? That he's a high priest and that he's merciful? What's the other adjective, the other describing word about Jesus' priesthood that we see in verse 17? It is that he's faithful. And so my third main point this morning is that Jesus is a faithful high priest. Verse 17. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. What does it mean to be faithful? Well, it means that you serve well. It's interesting, it says there, faithful high priest in service to God. He does his job well. If you are told to do a job, you have that job, but then you're unfaithful in it, it means you don't do your job. So someone at work, your boss says, you've got to do this. You can either be faithful in that job, or you can be unfaithful. And if you are faithful, you will go through and do what you've been told to do. And Jesus is not just a high priest in name, he is also a high priest in his faithfulness of service to God. And this is crucial to understand because if Jesus didn't do his job properly, then you are lost. He hasn't made atonement for your sins. He hasn't offered that sacrifice. 
And it doesn't matter how merciful he is. If he doesn't do his job, if he's not faithful in his job, then his mercy really is worth nothing. It doesn't matter how you think about something, how merciful you are towards someone. If you don't do anything to help them, then it doesn't really matter. We like to say it's the thought that counts. Well, no, it isn't. It's whether you do something to help the person that counts. It's not good enough to say, oh, I'm really sorry about your distress and there's something that you can actually do and you don't do it to help them. It's not the thought that counts at all. And with Jesus, it wasn't that he just thought about showing us mercy. He was faithful in getting us mercy, in making that sacrifice. And we see that in the way that he makes the sacrifice. He makes sure it is the right sacrifice that he offers. He is faithful in making sure that he does his job well and offers the right sacrifice. What was the right sacrifice that he needed to offer? He needed to offer a human sacrifice. The blood of bulls and goats does not take away sin. It is not good enough to slice the neck of a goat and say my sins have been paid for because a goat is not a human and so a substitute has not been made. All the sacrifices in the Old Testament simply point ahead to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ the need for a human substitute. You need a human to die for you if you are to escape the punishment that you deserve. And Jesus made sure he didn't offer a bull, he didn't offer a goat, he offered a human sacrifice because he is a faithful high priest. And he didn't just offer any human, he offered an innocent human, a human who was free from sin because it's not good enough for Jesus to offer a sinful human in replacement of a sinful human because how can that turn away God's wrath? God is angry at the sinner that is being offered on behalf of a sinner. It doesn't make sense. It needed to be a pure, innocent sacrifice that was offered. And did Jesus offer that? Yes. He offered himself one who had never sinned at all, one who had never transgressed God's law. He offered himself as a human sacrifice and an innocent sacrifice. And he does that because he's a faithful high priest. He does his job well. And he also offered it to the right God. Imagine if Jesus had offered himself to Baal, to Zeus. Would that have done his job properly? No, he needed to make sure that the God that we had offended as humans was offered the sacrifice. And we have not offended Zeus because Zeus doesn't exist. We have not offended Baal because Baal doesn't exist. We have offended the God Jehovah, the one who made all things. And Jesus made sure that his sacrifice was offered to that God so that our sins were paid for. And he also offered the right sacrifice by making sure he died as God because he offers his sacrifice to all who will believe but if he doesn't die as a divine being if he dies only a human death then his sacrifice is only sufficient for one person he might die for the apostle Peter might die for the apostle Paul but that's all he can do one for one 
But if he dies as God, his death is of infinite value. His death is sufficient for the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John and all the disciples and for you and me if we believe that he died for us because his death is of infinite value because he died as the infinite God. So Jesus, did he do his job faithfully? Did he do his job well? Amen, he did. He offered the right sacrifice to the right God. He did his job very well. So at the cross, Jesus' sacrifice, we see that he is both merciful and faithful. It's interesting those two words, merciful and faithful, because the way I love to look at the cross, and I think the Bible looks at the cross, is there we see the love and justice of God. And there we see the mercy and faithfulness of God. Love of God for sinners, justice of God that sin is paid for. That God does not let sin go unpunished. Either you are punished for your sin personally, for eternity in hell, or Jesus is punished for you at the cross. There we see the mercy and faithfulness of God. There we see the love and justice of God. question is this morning, for you, is Jesus your merciful and faithful high priest? Does this text speak to you? Does it say that he is your merciful and faithful high priest? If you're not a Christian, I encourage you to recognise your wretchedness, how distressed you should be about your sin and about the punishment that is coming for your sin. And then cry out to the only one who can give you mercy, the only one who has offered a sacrifice to God on your behalf that is sufficient. How do you get that? How do you get Jesus to be your merciful and faithful high priest? You repent of your sins. You say you are sorry to God. And then you believe that it is so. That's it. No good works needed. You don't have to be confirmed, be baptised, take Holy Communion. You don't have to give to the poor, give to the church, serve at the church. Why? Because Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient. He's offered the right sacrifice. All you have to do is believe that it is so. If you're not a Christian, I encourage you to do that now. All you have to do is say sorry to God for your sins and say, I believe that Jesus died for me. And if you are a Christian and you affirm that Jesus is your merciful and faithful high priest, I want to encourage you this morning to continue affirming that. Continue recognising your need for mercy for a merciful high priest. Recognise the sin in your life. Recognise that you deserve eternal punishment. And then come before God again and again and repent of your sins. Repent anew and ask God for mercy. One of my most frequent prayers that I utter, just as I'm walking around and uh, I've got time, I'm doing something meaningless, is have mercy upon me, O God. Have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. I need a merciful, faithful high priest for me. 
and then recognise that Jesus is faithful. Recognise that you are forgiven and that instead of eternal punishment in hell that you've just reminded yourself you deserve, remember that you now have eternal life in heaven instead because Jesus has faithfully offered a sacrifice that is sufficient for your sins. Let's speak with our God now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent your Son into the world to save us. You could have sent him into the world to save fallen angels and left us as you would you are leaving Satan and his demons. But instead you sent your son for sinful humans. And we thank you that he did make that sacrifice faithfully as a high priest that he did his job very well and that he shows mercy to all those who will come to him. Lord, we pray for anyone here this morning who has not come to Jesus as their merciful and faithful high priest. We pray that they may repent of their sins and believe that he is their priest right now. And we pray for us as Christians We have affirmed that Jesus is our high priest. We pray that we may continue to do that again and again. We may cry out for mercy from Jesus Christ as we recognise the sin in our lives and know that we have forgiveness because he is faithful. His sacrifice was the perfect sacrifice that is sufficient for our sins. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.